Brilliant, Chris. It's great to hear that, isn't it? And great uh, to see some wonderful stuff happening, well thought through, making a <clears throat> tangible difference in people's lives. And it's also a, a brilliant example, really, of everything that we're going to be talking about this morning and what we have been talking about over the last number of weeks. Um, it's great to see you, by the way. Thanks for coming out on this lovely day. Um, and I hope you're blessed um, by what we're going to look at. Um, I'm going to do a quick recap, very quick, just to get us into the flow. Um, of where, where we're going this morning um, and for those of you who um, haven't been able to maybe be here the last few weeks I would encourage you to maybe listen to the podcast because there, there is a kind of progression in how we've we've gone through this and it'll hopefully make more sense but the theme is blessed to be a blessing as you can see in the screen in a nutshell as much as I can do a nutshell in a not kind of type way um, it, becomes a big nutshell sort of thing. Anyway, as much as I can do it in a nutshell to recap, here, here it is. God, God wants to bless humankind, okay? God is a blessing God. From the very beginning, we see that and we've defined that blessing as his loving power to bring about fruitfulness, multiplication, and filling on the earth. He's invited humankind into participating with him in this blessing mandate into and over the rest of creation. Um, and because of that, then we've learned that one of the central themes to the scripture is the theme of stewardship. Okay, Everything we are and have has been given to us from God and to channel for his purposes. We aren't owners. We're co-partners with God who've been entrusted with divine worth. So we've been blessed with stuff in order to be a blessing. But the pattern so far has taught us that while God wants to bless humankind, and that will be more than enough for him, humankind is continually seduced by a false blessing, by a kind of fake level of abundance. And we will continually kind of elevate ourselves above God and uh, elevate our desires above God's desire for us. And so the result of that has not been good. Instead of being part of God's blessing mandate to multiply blessing, we multiply curse and we multiply sin. But God has this plan to reach the world because he wanted to, remember this diagram, he wanted to bless Abraham so that through Abraham's descendants, who are the children of Israel, they will bless the whole world. God wants his people to live in blessing. He wants them to enjoy his blessing. And, um, and, and what we found, though, is Abraham kind of got it, eventually really did get it, but it took him a while. Um, uh, but what we see through the pattern of the children of Israel, really, the story of the Old Testament is sometimes they get this, but for the most part, they probably don't. And Jesus comes along to show us what the blessed life really looks like, to speak to us what blessing looks, to speak to us about what blessing looks like, to live in blessing, and ultimately to become the curse for us. So in becoming the curse for us, all the all the impact and effects negatively of the sin of the world, or on Jesus, he deals with the curse of the world so that when we ask him to become our Lord and Savior and we apply the work of cross to our lives, we get opened up into the, all the blessings that come with being in Christ. And Jesus also showed us that at the heart of this blessing mandate was community, was family. So from the very beginning, uh, we found that there was a together element to the blessing. It was male and female. It wasn't an isolated individualistic thing. It was, it was family. It was community. It was a union with others that were going to fill and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And Jesus gathered a community around him, which was a foretaste of the church. And when we went back to heaven, we have this amazing testimony. All the believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was powerfully at work in them, and there was, so that there was no needy persons amongst them. And I want to re-emphasize that because that's really what we feel like the Lord has called us to be as a church. And as we think about how we establish ourselves as a church going forward and as Emmanuel poured it down, it's one of the things that we really want to give our lives for, the testimony of being a community of which there are no needy persons amongst us, which gets to the heart of all we're doing. And so as we finish off this series, what we're trying to do is really focus it on money. I said last week, I didn't want, and we didn't want our series to be, uh, we wanted to talk about money because we felt Jesus does a lot, and it's important that we disciple one another in how we steward our money. But what we certainly didn't want it to come across like was the kind of ministers talk once a year about, you know, how you need to give, give a bit more or something like that, right? That's not what we intended it to be. We wanted it to step and be set in the flow of how we steward everything that we are for the kingdom of God and how we see that right throughout the scriptures. And so we've got to the point where we are specifically talking about, I guess, money today, but it doesn't, the whole theme doesn't apply purely to money. And, and Jesus talked a lot about it. Um, and what we've learned so far is really, on one hand, Jesus talked a lot about the dangers of money. In fact, he, he personified the love of money uh, in, the, in, the, in the idea of what he called mammon. So ma- mammon is, is kind of like the love of money becomes so strong, it, it almost has a personality to it that seeks to, to steal your heart away from God. So mammon is God's rival. And so Jesus talked a lot about the dangers of money. But equally, he also talked a lot about money in the form of stewardship. And we read in Luke chapter 8, there were even women who practically funded Jesus' ministry and the disciples' ministry. So there was a way that money could be used really well. And so I guess what we've concluded is to date that money itself is not the problem. It's the relationship of your heart towards money. It's a love of money. That is the root of all evil. That, that is a powerful verse, right? So if it's, a, it's a root. But what we've also concluded more than that is that how we spend our money, because money can be used really well and stewarded really well, because lots of the parables that Jesus uses about stewardship are to do with money. And I've come to the conclusion, even more forcibly in studying this, that um, our money um, seems to present to us a test case, if you like, of what's really going on in our hearts. So money is almost, Jesus uses money as a a practical way to reveal how you're stewarding what what he's doing in your life and an expression of that. Let's look at this really powerful verse. Jesus speaking, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? That is powerful. Like that kind of should stop us in our tracks a little bit. If, you, if we haven't been faithful in the money that we've been given, how can we be trusted to steward the true riches of the kingdom? And so it feels to me like in the New Testament, that's what AMT means, in the New Testament, money is viewed as a, as a test case to reveal the heart, therefore determining your measure of kingdom authority. So I would go as far as to say this, which may be controversial to some, but I think I have a strong biblical precedent for it. What you do with your money determines the level of kingdom influence that you have. I think Jesus speaks to that quite strongly. Um, And so, not because God needs it, uh, but because it's almost like Jesus is saying, (laughs) something that has the potential to steal your heart, let me see how you handle that. Because if you can handle that without becoming selfish, 
self-obsessed and entitled about that, then I can really trust you with the real secrets and mysteries of the kingdom of God. That seems to be something that Jesus is getting at. And so how we steward our money well is really, really important. And, uh, and we do that first and foremost in four ways. Now, I'll warn you, the first one I'm going to talk about for a longer time, right? So just in case you're like, you know, it's 12 o'clock or five past and you go on, he hasn't done number two yet, right? I'm literally just going to mention them, okay? Because I know, I, I've been there. I know the way you think, right? So first and foremost, right, we give back to God. So we're going to talk mostly the rest of the time about tithing, which we got into a bit last week. Because it's a misunderstood subject. And I want to try and hopefully help you with this this morning. We give to God and we, we, we tithe, right? It's a really popular topic, isn't it? Because, uh, because it's a practice that originates in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus was teaching what, what we need to really get the context of. Jesus was teaching a slave people, a people who had come out of slavery, he was t- who owned nothing. All of a sudden, they come out of slavery. They own nothing. They've plundered the Egyptians' camp. So they've got all their possessions. Then God says, I want to bring you into a land of milk and honey. I'm going to give you a land. You're going to have a home. You're going to have a place to live. You're going to have probably uh, animals to farm. You're going to have produce of the land. You're going to live in a place where you're going to enjoy the blessing of God. And, uh, and, and so God is trying to teach a people that didn't know how to handle anything, how to handle something. And in order to do that, a bit like you would try to teach your child how to understand the value of money, God gives them certain laws and practices to enjoy the, to enjoy the blessing without becoming obsessed by it. And so the principle of the tithe was introduced because they were going to have stuff because God didn't want them to be slaves because God doesn't like poverty. He doesn't like slavery. He doesn't like people having nothing. He's a good father. And so he, he, he taught them these things. And he said, so here's a couple of the quick verses, Leviticus Leviticus, I'll just read it to you. It says, um, what does it say? A tithe from everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. Deuteronomy on the screen, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So this was a really practical way of teaching the children of Israel how to step into the flow of the blessing of God. It was like a discipline that helped them to remember everything they had came from God in the first place, and therefore they shouldn't become entitled to it. And therefore, if they learned how to tie, they would step into the flow of blessing. You see, God is both an idealist, if you like, and a realist. He can be both at the same time. God said in Deuteronomy that there should be no poor amongst you. God, that's what God longed for. That's what God wanted. And that's what he still wants. But he also knew what was in the heart of mankind. And so he knew that the reality is you're not going to steward things probably as well as I would really want you to. And therefore, here's disciplines, laws uh, that I'm putting in place to help you regulate the blessing that I'm going to give you so you don't keep it all for yourself and you don't think you own it and you don't think it's yours because everything you have came from me. So God doesn't need it, but he's, he's trying to get at their hearts to, to keep them right. And so there's a sense in which when we don't tithe, what we're saying is, God, I trust myself more than you with my money. Or even worse than that, we're saying, well, that's mine, it's not yours. So, um, so I'm, I'm going to hold on to it, right? Still with me, right? So what does this mean for us today? Now, uh, that's an interesting question, right? Because when it comes to tithing, uh, traditionally understood as giving a tenth, because of these scriptures, right, there's some things I need to explain. There's many ways in which tithing in the Old Testament actually doesn't translate to the New Testament, right? Because it's a completely different framework and paradigm. 
Israel lived under what's called a theocracy, right? There was no other political form or democratic form of government. So all the money that came went into the temple. The temple wasn't just the center of worship, but it was also the place of education. It was also the place where the judges lived, where, govern, where government happened. And, and, and so it wasn't actually, uh, we can't actually translate that. There's a way in which we don't live in a theocracy anymore. And actually what's really, really interesting, uh, traditionally we have understood it as the tenth, but if you go into detail, there's actually two tithes that came forward each year. Each of them was a tenth, and every three years you actually give 3% as well, which is 23%, right? Um, which is quite interesting because that's not dissimilar to our income tax. So God, God was kind of thinking of all this stuff before all the bright minds of the day thought that would be a good idea, right? And, and so, so there's a, but we don't live in that system anymore, right? So there's, there's a way in which that doesn't fully translate because we're talking about two different ways of doing life, if you like. In saying that, and the other thing that's really important to get is that Jesus has freed us, many of you will know this, from many of the technicalities of the law of the Old Testament because Jesus came to teach us that the law is fulfilled in love, in sacrificial love. So what we said last week, um, and I find it really helpful, I often think about the law. If you, if you thought about learning a language or teaching your child how to speak or when they go to school, the elementary way you do that is to teach them the ABCs. Yeah? You teach them the, 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 the alphabet and the way to say certain words. And, and that gives you a way that you can interact and engage. But Jesus came to make us fluent. And Jesus came to make us fluent in the language of love. So the law was like the ABCs of the type of love that Jesus was going to come and fulfill. Right? So central, and, but also what we really need to grasp here is central to the gospel and central to the biblical story is that the law, what the law did was the law actually showed us and revealed to us, and this is crucial to understand this, the law showed us that we can't actually live up to the law, right? So the law just had a way of showing us that we couldn't live up to the law standard. We couldn't live up to the law in our own strength. And the law revealed even more starkly that humankind's sin uh, was real. And in effect, then the law became like a curse to us. Right, Tony? You've got a driving license yet for that thing? <laughs> Good to see you, Tony. It's really important that we get this. The law revealed even more starkly, right? Even more starkly that we can't live up to the law, right? I want, you, I want you to make sure you get that, right? The law revealed we can't live up to the law. It revealed how strong and how selfish our desires really are, right? We needed help. So let me, let me, let me look at this um, scripture with you. Sorry, let me get the next one here. That next one coming, John? Okay, Galatians chapter 3, it says this. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Right? So the law of which the 10th was part, the law only revealed that we actually can't live up to the law. So in that regard, the law became like a curse. Now, it's not that the law itself was bad, but it's the law revealed that we couldn't live up to it. And what's really, really crucial for us to get, this is crucial when it comes to tithing, by the way, right? 
That when Jesus came to become a curse for us, to free us from the law, he came to put his own spirit inside us so that we could live like he, we could fulfill the law like he did in and through love. This is an amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul says to this new, this new family of churches, he said, you show, okay, listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets made of human hearts. So right, God, is, Jesus has come to release us from the law and to put within us, not a law that's written with ink on hands, but to put within us His own Spirit to write on our hearts the language of love. Something more than the ABCs. And so through Jesus, the language of love was being written on our hearts. It's not to say that the law was bad. The essence of the law was good. But the law just revealed that we couldn't even live up to the law. That as humankind, we were sinful. It revealed that when it says, well, you know yourself, you know when you teach your kid, you put that rule in place, don't touch that. What do they invariably want to do? There's that part of us that goes, well, I'll have a touch at that then, please. Thank you very much, right? Because the law reveals this thing within our humankind that we, 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 we can't even live up to that. It reveals our rebellion. It reveals our sin. And so that's why Jesus came to become a curse, to free us from the law, to put his own spirit in us. So Jesus brings us into an even deeper reality than what we can ever even imagine. He frees us from the law but this is, this is really important. He calls us to an even greater standard than the law. Right? So Jesus calls us to a greater standard in the law. And the standard is me. Jesus, not me. Jesus is saying me. Right? Definitely not me, Alan. Me as in, like, if I'm talking about Jesus in the first person. He's saying, I, I am the standard. Now, how on earth, if we can't even fulfill the law, are we going to become like Jesus? The only way we can do that is when you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead comes and lives with us. So there is a power within us to overcome sin, selfishness, self-centeredness, entitlement. Only Jesus and the power of the cross appropriated to our lives can free us from that so that we can actually be like Jesus. Because there is a power, there is a power inside you now that means you don't have to sin. It's... That's the fundamental New Testament message. Before you knew Jesus, you just couldn't do anything else. But there is a power within us. Now, that doesn't mean we won't sin. Of course it does. We, of course we will. But there, there is a power within us that we can overcome the other desires that are strong within us. And so like, when we bring this into tithing, and this is where it's really, really important, we bring this into thinking about tithing, rather than live up to the traditional sense of how can I get away with only giving, how can I get away <laughs> with how little I can give? Or do I have to give 10%? All of a sudden, when we become like Jesus, we ask the question, we change the question. How do we give our whole lives away? How do we steward everything that we've been given? The question becomes not, what's the least I can get away with? The question becomes, or should become, if we mature in the Lord, is how much can I give away? And so rather than thinking, sitting down and going, here's everything we need to do, and we'll see what we can give that we bit the God at the side, the question should become, how much do we need to keep? <laughs> That's where God wants us to get to, I think. How much do we need to keep? And so the tithe, uh, the tenth, which we've come to stick to quite rigidly, we're not, not supposed to. The principle of the tithe, if you like, in the law, is that the ABCs, if, 
of the law when it comes to tithing is still there. But, but it should kind of, it leads us to want, we've been freed from that in order to give even more. So what I want you to hear today is there's no chapter and verse in the New Testament that I can turn to and say, it says you have to give this much. Because there isn't that. But the flow of the God story and the wisdom of the scriptures would suggest that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into a place where if the 10% was kind of like the ABCs of love, then as we mature in Jesus, that's probably the least of which Jesus wants us to give so that we can come to a place where we can give even more. Because our mindset has to shift because something happened with Jesus that allows us to live into the fullness of all he is. Now, I know, I understand, for some of you listening to this, this is, this is hard, right? And I understand the sensitivities around money. I really, really get that. And I, I don't want to be insensitive for one moment. I also know there's complications, if you want to put it like that. Some of us come from homes where maybe our partners or our husbands and wives are, are, are believers. And so there's sensitivities there that I don't have time to get into today. Which, but I really want to understand that. I also understand that some of us are just new Christians. And this is like, What? You know, what on earth is, what on earth is this? You, you know, you have to give money and the, da, 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 all of that, right? Um, so here's what I would say at a really base kind of practical level. If, if you're not giving anything, start giving something. You, you work that out with Jesus yourself, but start giving something and see what God does. If you're giving something, but you're not giving 10%, I don't want to like be rigid with that at all, but I would encourage you to start making it a holy ambition of your life to move towards that. That's what I would offer you today. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to disciple you in what I think the scriptures say and where I think you will live in more of the blessing of God. And then what I want to say, if you are given 10%, can we go again and say, why not graduate that? Why not start to prove God in that particular area as, as, you, as you allow the Lord to speak to you? This is what the, some people call the, the principle of the graduated tithe, continually increasing your giving. In the New Testament, as I've said, we've been freed from the legalism of the law and the Old Covenant so that the Spirit can move us in and by the grace of God. The Old Testament law fostered an attitude of lack or what's the least that I can do or I can give. Jesus brings us into the abundance of heaven where nothing ever runs out. So here's three verses. I could pick more probably, but just to make the point, John chapter 3, Jesus says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives us spirit without limit or without measure. There is no end to what God can give. John chapter 1 verse 1, Out of the fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the grace already given, or sorry, this is the end. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Some of your translations will say, and grace upon grace. In other words, the grace that you've got to now, there is actually new grace to replace the grace that you've had to now. It's unending and it's ever increasing. Look at this, Second Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory or from glory to glory. So the Old Testament fostered an attitude of what's the least that I can give. The New Testament in Jesus brings us into the fullness of all that God is. And he wants us to get in on the economy of heaven. 
And this is good news to us. As we die to ourselves, as we give up, we're actually entrusted with more. And so when we apply this to money, I'm firing a few scriptures at you here today, but it's the Bible, so it's good, right? Luke chapter 6, this is Jesus. Think about this in the context of money, this sort of context of increase. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Paul, when he's talking in Acts, he says to the early church, And everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We become like Jesus by giving by becoming fluent in the language of sacrificial love, and we find a joy in giving of ourselves, including our money, more than we do of getting. And, and that's where Jesus wants us to get, to get to, a greater joy that we get from what we can give at the end of the month to what comes in. That's what Jesus wants us to get. Now, I'm not trying to like take us out of the real world here. I, I know there's all this stuff kind of going on, all, all the different sensitivities, but th- this is ultimately where Jesus wants us to get. Now, now watch this, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Look, not under compulsion or reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, listen to this, so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. (laughs) And then it goes on to say, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and so through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, if we sow sparingly, we reap sparingly. If we sow generously, God was the one who actually gave you the seed in the first place. So that storehouse that you're sowing with, he actually, if we start to sow generously, wants to increase the seed that's in the storehouse so that we can become even more generous. But what he's saying is, I need to see how you're going to do with the stuff that you've got to, to, reckon, to, to, to make the decision whether or not to give you more so that you can bless even more. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. And, and so I, I believe that God wants us to think going forward about how we do this. Now, I'm trying to teach it. I don't know if you have anybody in your life, but the, the, the best way to learn this is to get around people who do it. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty blessed in my own home, like, particularly my dad. You, you know, he's just around kindness. And it leaves a mark on you. It leaves a mark on you, honestly. And when things were tight, we were younger, and, and you know, everybody thought it was like, you know, you're, you're a part of that family business, and, you know, you've got lorries in the road, you must be all loaded, and, like, you know, in the backstory, like, houses are being remortgaged and things like that, you know. And yet in the midst of that, still kindness, still so, still give, that leaves a mark on your heart. And it's, you, you, get, you get shaped by that. And, and I, I, I have... So growing up around that has really helped me. And so sometimes, I, so I understand for some of us, 
you know, we've, we've grown up in cultures, our backgrounds, where it feels like we've, re, we've really, it's really been kind of poverty spurt because our circumstances have almost indicated that. And I totally get that. All I want to gently try and provoke today is the Lord wants to draw us into a different kind of economy where when we sow, and that's not like necessarily the amount, but think about the percentage of what comes in and, and determine how the Holy Spirit might want to encourage you to move towards that. Because once we start to give, God starts to entrust us with even more. And I think it determines the level of influence that you will have in the kingdom. And I think there's certain people that actually reach a ceiling, they hit off a ceiling in their level of influence in the kingdom because in their finances, there's, there's not a spirit of generosity. They haven't entered into the economy of heaven just yet. And I think that that's where God wants to bring us as individuals, but as a church. And so here's a few things to say. Given the spirit, Give, give. I, if anybody walks out here today and thinks that they've been told what, the, what they should give and how much they should get, right? You haven't, honestly, you haven't heard me right. And hopefully, you haven't heard that. You, you take it before the Lord. It's a Holy Spirit thing. It's not a rule. It's not a law in that sense. It's, it's the Holy Spirit leading you into becoming more like Jesus and in the area of your finances. Give with faith, okay? I heard this once and I thought this is a really good way of describing it. Some people are like funnel givers, right? Like the basket goes around, they throw a few quid in, don't really care about what, it, what happens, they just know it's something they should do, right? So for what goes in, there's minimal impact. Some people are like drain pipe givers, right? They kind of know a bit that you reap what you sow, so we'll put a bit in the, to- in the top and then what, you know, we'll expect to see them to come out the bottom, right? I think the Bible teaches us to be sprinklers, right? You can go home and tell you everybody said you were sprinklers, right? I think we're supposed to give like sprinklers, right? So that what we put in actually has a disproportionate impact positively for the kingdom in a much greater spread. A bit like the five loaves and two fish. Like who would ever have thought five loaves and two fish could feed 5,000 people? But when we give with faith, so what I mean by that is when you give, see it as an act of worship and pray about it. If you're given as a family or if you're given as a, as a married couple, pray about it. And, 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 and say, God, we're giving, this, we're giving this to you because we believe it's what you want to do. And we pray with faith that it will have an incredible effect for the kingdom of God in the days ahead. And, and, and you will take it and breathe in it, breathe in our, our five loaves and two fish and feed many with it. So, so give, give with faith. Give us worship. Give, give, that's the principle of the first fruits. God, God loves us at our worst, but he deserves our best. Yeah, so I, I think in the, in the Old Testament, the principle was a first fruit, give of the first. If, if you leave your giving to what you've got left at the end to see what you'll give to God, I would love to encourage you to reverse that. You, you, you have to think and pray about that because if you, only, if you only give God what you've got left for a start, it doesn't really sound right. Sure, it doesn't. We'll give back to the one who gave us it all, just the bit that's left at the end. But more than that, you, you develop a discipline where it becomes part of your worship on the God um, because we love him. Give cheerfully. Don't, uh, as I said in Northern Ireland, don't give with a, what was it we say here, like a sour back, right? You know, give, give with a cheerful heart. Give, give willingly unto the Lord. And give, as I've said, with discipline. Make it, make, it, make, it a, make it a habit of worship in your life, yeah? Some people do that in different ways. The, on, the, the online stand and order thing practically is, is, is good in some ways because it means that there's a habit there that you don't really change and saying that sometimes you can get you can get a bit lazy and not pray about it not pray with faith about it. it's just something that happens other people like to write it as a particular 
discipline. If you're a very disciplined person that's good in that, then I think that's a great thing because I like to give it in. And I think that, you know, physically give it in. I think there's an act of worship with that that's, that's lovely. I'm the kind of person that'll probably forget that. So I, I, I love the idea that, you know, just the first thing that comes out, like if you look at my, I don't want to talk about myself too much, but if, on the bank statement, I want to see that the first thing comes out that after everything goes in, that that's my act of worship every, every month. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to do that the same. If you, if you give me five minutes just to finish this, would you? Should we, should we give to the local church? Okay. The short answer is yes, I think, but not exclusively. Okay? Um, because God's plan for the world, as we've found out, to bless the world has always been through a family. has always been through community. And in the New Testament, we get this picture of the local church is God's vision for how the world gets changed. And the supernatural element of that helps us to feed hundreds and hundreds of people. And so I believe that all of us need a family, a local church, uh, people made up from different tribes and backgrounds and different uh, you know, social classes, diff- different religions, to come together, one under the lordship of Jesus. And, and together we steward the resource of heaven, what God has given us. As we, as we give it in together, we're able to bless the world. And, and so I, I, I do think that primarily the place where we should give uh, should be uh, the local church. Now, it depends on the type of church. Uh, unfortunately, lots of churches are, have built their own empires. The, the, the money goes to things that you know, are dubious, to say the least, and uh, all of that kind of thing. So I would say, you know, give it somewhere where you trust how it's being stewarded. And if that's not here, then I would hope you do and you can feel that. I haven't time to go into all the practicalities of that, but I think it is worthwhile just remarking on the fact that we, you know, our accounts are incredibly transparent. We have people like Lenny who do a phenomenal job, but other people on our board, John Bustard here, helps count their money, looks at our finances, people of integrity, people that are... That um that we that we trust people that understand how these things work, just asking questions, making sure it's being used and appropriated, possibly. In in the early church, the the money was laid. The Bible says at the apostles' feet, so there was a trust for the wisdom of how it was be stewarded. And we we need prayers in order to do that properly. But what's important for you to know is because you give every month, this church, this body here, give to to reach. Right, where 521 young people are mentored every single week in 40 schools across this area. Because people give here, we give every month to Aspire, where young people who have nobody to help them do their homework, hundreds of them are, are, have somebody sitting with them every month. We give to links where people are being counseled, lives are being changed and transformed every single week. We give to 24-7 prayer. We give to the food bank. We give to, we give to Wayne and Sue as they seek to see God bless the... Um, you know, bless what they're doing in Spain and to see something established there. We, we give to Car, we give to Shalom. We had a young, uh, not a young, an older man who went to Shalom called Jack, lo- lovely little man, died three, three weeks ago. And uh, re- really sadly, but had given his life to Jesus, struggled with alcohol, but he was buried in the clothes that Renew from our clothes bank clothed him with. And that happens because people give because we give in and we steward that money. We give to Youth for Christ in Kirkgallen. We give to CAP. We give to various different things. All that Chris has just shared can happen because people are released to go and do these kind of things to build God's kingdom. And all that can happen because people give. 
the other money that's given is given. Much of it goes into savings so that we can build a church in the days ahead where more people can be welcome. Not that we can build some kind of just nice looking church for us, but that we can become a house of hope in our community where people can run to. The only reason that we can even contemplate that is because people give. And God gives us wisdom then to know what to do with it. And so, so my suggestion is to try and move towards, I would say, try and move towards giving the majority you know, of, of, of your tithe to, to the local church, but not exclusively. I would give to other things. Do your research. Listen to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. I would particularly think about giving to things like on global mission. I think those are great things to give to because we want to see in our lifetime, Jesus, come back. But every tribe, every tongue, every nation has to hear of Jesus. And so, you know, give to great societies and, and charities and parachurch organizations that you feel God has placed on your heart. I would encourage you to think about as well. And then, just really finally, this is a bit that I said I'd do really quickly. As we give to God, give to one another. Let's make sure, let's look after one another. Let's make sure there's enough for everybody. Let's, let, let's, let's, let's give to one another. Let's bless one another. So that when people are gone, they can go, there's, there's no needy persons amongst them. Give, give to the poor. Right from the beginning to the end of Scripture, God wanted us to look after the poor. Because he doesn't want there to be poor people. He doesn't want there to be poverty. And, you know, we have to think well how we do that. And we have to steward that really well. But listen to this verse. I'm closing up here in a moment. This is Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, he invited him. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot pay you back. That scripture gets me every single time. Because do you know the way we do that thing where we'll have them around and then if we have them around, then they'll have us around. And, um, if, you know, we can't really have them around because we had them twice, you know. And then, you know, if we, they, you know, you know the way we do that kind of thing and then we try to impress each other with our homes and how nice our homes are and, you know, and we try to cook the best meal for one another to impress each other how great our meal, you know. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the way, please do be in one another's homes. Please do entertain one another. Please do open your homes. What Jesus is saying is here is open up your home have the people around your table who can't literally afford to have you back in theirs. Who are too embarrassed about their home to actually say, oh, it's our turn now to have you. Open up your table to those who cannot repay you. Because you know what Jesus says, look, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you have people in your life and people around your table that are there and they can't even think about the thought of having you in their house, A, because they're too embarrassed, or B, because they can't afford it. And Jesus says, then you will be blessed. Yeah. And so, finally, when it comes to all of this, we give to God, we give to one another, we give, we give to the poor, and just make meaningful purchases. Now, enjoy the blessing of God. Of course, think about how you bless your kids how you spoil your kids from time to time, how you have a holiday, you know, how you invest, you know, in something that's going to work. 
You know, it does nobody no good if you're thinking, oh, uh, I'm trying to impress God here, so I'll pay 20 less quid on this thing than that other thing. Whereas, you know, the thing that is 20 quid more is probably going to do you three times as long as the thing that you were trying to, you know, you know what I mean? So I'm just saying, make me, be, that's okay. But think about it in the context of what do I actually really need? What do I need to keep in order that I can steward the finance of God so God can increase the seed so I can even bless even more? Imagine we could become a people that's steward. I, I, I want, so the reason we're teaching this, as I'm finished, the reason we're teaching this, I, I, I want everybody here, I want every single person in our church for their finances to be in good shape. I want you to be able to own your homes. I want people to be able to pay off their mortgages. I, what I don't want is people living with maxed out in credit cards all over. Because that's, I don't think that's the way Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to live in the blessing. But sometimes the blessing isn't there because the principle of giving and tithing isn't actually in our lives. And so the reason that we're talking about this is not because we're all going, we're, I'm going to be standing at the end here in the way I have stand in order for him. Go going, come on now, right? That's not happening. I want everybody here, and the leadership want everybody here to live in the blessing of God, to enjoy the blessing of God. But imagine we could be entrusted as a community. Imagine in the days ahead, we could be entrusted as a church with giving away millions. That's what I'm doing. Imagine the people, the community groups come to us for grants around the church, around the community for grants. And what if, what if we could be the place where people learn how to get a job and, you know, get educated in job skills? What if we, we could be the pioneers of microfinance businesses and entrepreneurial kind of kingdom? What, what if the church could become those things? They the can. And there's signs of that happening around the world today. But it'll only happen when a people come together and understand how to steward the finances of God. And it starts, it starts with what comes in to you every month and you having a good chat with Jesus about, Jesus, what can I keep? And what do you want me to give? And where do you want me to give it? Because what you've been given, the master's coming back. And what you've been given, he's going to ask you, what did you do with it? And it starts with, what are you going to do with what you have been given? And then you just graduate, and you graduate, and you graduate. As Jesus increases seed, so that you become even more generous. And, um, and once you get it, once you get it, I would say, you, you dare not want to get out of it. That's what I found. Once you get into it, you just see the blessing of God, and you just live and steward the blessing of God. And so I want to encourage you in that this morning, and I hope you've heard my heart in it, and I hope together as a church family we can continue to grow in it. Why don't we stand and let me pray for us as we finish. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here today. I thank you that as we sung in our opening song this morning, we said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. God, I just thank you for what you're doing in people's lives. I thank you how you're speaking to us. Lord, we dream, oh God, of being people who enjoy and live in your blessing. And we enjoy and look forward to being a people that can bless others abundantly. God, would you teach us how to give with faith? Would you teach us how to start with what we've had and become faithful in this? Lord, I, I just, I, I, I want to just, uh, Lord, speak against any way uh, that this could be received today that uh, brings about a sense of guilt or shame, I just break that off in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that we would be liberated into the fullness of who you are and the beautiful words that you said, Jesus, that it's more blessed to give 
than it is to receive. Liberate us into that truth today and lead us on, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.